episode series, and I tell you what, it's a life-changing series. If you uh, grab a hold of this, then it really, truly changes your life. It changes your outlook. It changes how you, uh, how you operate with relationships and with people, and it really, truly does set you free. So uh, this evening, we're going to continue with that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit this from a little different angle tonight. Um, I want to deal with confrontation, confrontation, but not necessarily just confrontation with people. This also has to do with confrontation uh, with with probably about four areas. So we'll get into that here in just a in just a moment. But let's just let's just open up with prayer uh, concerning this word tonight. Father, we thank you so much for your word and Lord the the principles that you give us the instruction your law your wisdom father that you give us so that we can live free from offense we can live in a in a place of victory we can live in a in a place of peace all of our days we thank you father for that Lord, that you are the Prince of Peace. We thank you so much for Jesus Christ, who is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who is the Prince of Peace, the mighty God. Lord, we thank you that you have sent him so that we can have the righteousness of God, for you are our righteousness. And we we praise you for that tonight. We thank you so much for giving us just all good things. There's no turning within you. There's no shifting shadow. But, Father, that you are always good and you always always love your children. We praise you tonight. We pray, Father, that you give us the revelation that's needed in every individual life tonight. Lord, give us the truth that is needed to uproot anything that the enemy has planted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, most everyone has dealt with uh, things in life that can cause potential offense. Um, you can, especially, you know, you can go to a service one day and, and, and the next day deal with something that, that, uh, can be a potential, uh, offense in your life. In fact, that's exactly what the Bible says when we, uh, the parable of the sower, you know, he says the word of God is sown into people's hearts. And then if it hits that rocky soil, it says that they, they receive it with joy but because the ground is shallow and then whenever persecution and trouble comes because of the word, then it shrivels up and it dies. And so because of the word itself, the, that's exactly how the enemy works. If it falls on the pathway, the birds come in and and steal it and it doesn't even get rooted at all. But if it, if it finds rocky ground in our heart, then there's persecution that comes or trouble that comes. So what the enemy tries to do is he tries to to throw in something there that's going to cause us to stumble and and give up that word so that we're not activating the word or applying the word in our life. And so we have to watch that we're grabbing a hold of the word because before it gets strongly rooted, the enemy tries to bring, bring trouble, persecution, or issues, offense, because that's what offense is. It's a stumbling block. It's something that causes a trap or a bait that causes man to stumble. And so if we fall into that bait, we fall into that trap, then the word is stolen and it doesn't get rooted in our heart. And of course, that's exactly what the enemy tries to do. And so we have to be aware of that. We have to be wise as serpents, right? We have to understand the ways of the enemy so that we don't fall into the wiles of the enemy, so that we don't fall into a path of destruction. And so we want to be wise about this. We want to know exactly what is before us so that we can be victorious and come out in the end with victory and with peace. Amen? But there's many, many times that people have dealt with thoughts like, why did that person betray me? Why did that friend betray me? Why did that that close relationship betray me? Why did that situation happen to me? Why, Why was I raised like this and this person had it good? Why was I abused and this person wasn't? Why, why did I have to be raised in, in a home with uh, difficult parents that didn't love me, and then this home here just seemed like they had the most loving parents? 
Why did I have to go through, you know, why did this person get a promotion and I didn't get the promotion? All of these things can be potential offenses in our life. Potential things in our heart that can strike a, a, put a seed there, and then all of a sudden a root begins to grow. And a seed of bitterness is planted. And so we have to watch out for these things, and we have to know how to deal with them. If we don't deal with them correctly, then it can cause us a world of problems, and we'll end up grumpy, nasty people. And we don't want to do that, do we? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure each one of us have probably seen Christians that have been grumpy, critical. And they're, you know, they've been Christians for 30 years, and instead of looking better, they begin to look worse and worse because they get critical about everything. They get judgmental about everything. They get grumpy about everything. And we don't want to be like that. We should become more and more loving as the years go on. The older and the more mature we get in our walk, we should be more like Christ, not more critical, not more judgmental, not more uh, in a place where we're angry or, or aggravated because of a root of bitterness, but we should be more loving like Christ. I want to hit a couple of scriptures, um, and I'm going to show a, a little bit of a video this evening after I go through a couple of scriptures, and it's going to be about half of the, the message tonight, but if you'll turn with me, before we do that, if you'll turn with me to the book of Acts, Chapter 24, I want to hit on a couple of scriptures before we watch that. Just to set the framework of where we're going this evening. So chapter 24, book of Acts, verse 16. It says, this being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. So we're, we're dealing with the conscience this evening because we talked a little bit on, on or, uh, Sunday, sorry, on Sunday about how the inner man no one sees what's in you except for you and, of course, the Holy Spirit. So we have to come to a place where we're holding ourselves accountable because we can, just like the, the Word of God says that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. And so our heart can, can have one thing in it, but it can, we can show something else on the outside. We can show something really great, but the motive of our heart can be way off. And so when it comes to our conscience, we want to make sure that we have a clear conscience towards God and towards men. But no one can see our conscience. Nobody can, can look at you and say, oh, I, I see what's going on and you're, you feel guilty right now. You know, you feel you, this is your motive right now. And again, disclaimer, in parentheses, unless there's uh, discernment by the Holy Spirit. We understand that. But for the most part, we are the only people that can judge our own spirit and what's going on. The word of God, that's why when the word of God is preached and it goes out because it's living and it's active and it divides between what? Soul and spirit. So the soul is our mind, our will, and emotions, the motives of our heart, the attitudes, all of those things, the intentions. That is our soul. Well, the word of God goes out and it divides between soul and spirit. What the, what the word of God wants to do, what the Holy Spirit wants to do, what he's speaking to your spirit, and then what our attitudes are. And so he divides between that. He cuts between that and shows us. And that's why we can get like, oh, that touched me. Man, preacher's stepping on my toes. He read my mail. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's doing that on the inside, and you feel like that, that he's been in your mailbox. You feel like he's been reading your text messages in modern-day speech, right? But the thing is, it's not that he's been doing that. It's because the Holy Spirit gets inside of you where your spirit's at and starts shining this magnifying glass around. And then all of a sudden, there's this place that gets hit, and it's like, whoom, it gets magnified. And we feel like, man, that just got really big. 
And so what do we do? We try to, like, cover it up. We try to put on a bigger smile. We shake our head. We do all of these things to make it look like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with me. I, I got that all under control. And so, again, our outward appearance can look one way, but, man, inside we can feel like something's blowing up. But it's the Holy Spirit, and he's doing it. Why? Because he loves us. He's doing it because he wants to purify us. He's doing it because he wants to get that stuff out because it's doing nothing but hurting us. And so if he can pull that out and replace it with his love, replace it with his goodness, replace it with his peace, replace it with the right principle that will bring us into a place where we're walking in peace all of our days, walking in victory, then we'll be much more apt to be able to walk this life without the roller coasters without the ups and downs. And so that's really what we want to do, but we got to trust him. we got to trust that that magnifying glass is, is, is for our good. It's not, it's not to harm us. His plans are not to harm us, but it's to give us what? A hope and a future. And so we've got to trust the Holy Spirit. Let me read a, a couple more. Go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. First Timothy 1.18. says, I charge, sorry, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. So we see here, Paul's telling Timothy that some have departed from the faith. Some have wandered, have rejected the faith. Why? Because they, they've rejected their conscience. So as, as God speaks to us, we have a choice. We can shove it aside and say, well, nobody sees that. I don't feel like dealing with that. I don't, I don't want anybody to see my weakness. I don't want anybody to know that, that that's what's going on in my life. Or I'm ashamed to talk about that. Or I don't, I don't want to deal with that. So I'm going to shove that aside and still do my own thing. And so because they, they rejected their conscience, their faith began to waver. Because you can only do this for so long as the Holy Spirit is pulling you down a journey and down a path with him because everybody's journey is different. No one's journey with Christ is the same. Yes, we, we are all aiming to be like Jesus, but everybody's past is different. Everybody's life is different. So he, your journey is not going to be someone else's journey. I don't know if you've ever uh, dealt with someone where it's like, when they became a Christian and, and, you know, then this happened, this happened, this happened. And so 20 years later, they're trying to make everybody else's walk with God look just like theirs. And they're trying to, well, you know, you need to do this now and you need to do this now. I remember a guy one time came in uh, to services years ago in, a, in an older church that we, we had attended. And, and this guy, he had longer hair. He went up to the altar. He bowed down. He he asked Jesus into his heart. Service wasn't over for probably three minutes. And one of the older Christians went up to him and says, you need to get your hair cut, brother. Like, what did that have to do with his Christian walk? You know, and it's like, you got to let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit in someone's life. You're not the Holy Spirit. And so that, I'm sure that turned him off and confused him and probably felt like, what, what, what am I doing? You know, I, I felt really good. I felt like my burdens just got lifted and now one just got put on my shoulder. So we have to make sure that we're not pushing our walk onto someone else's. Yes, there's certain things in place in the word of God that we're, we're to follow and we're to help and to guide and to counsel but you're not someone else's Holy Spirit. I got a little bit off track there. All right, so uh, 
same book, 1 Timothy, let's look a little further in chapter 4. In verse 1 and 2, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. So it can come to a place where our conscience, our conscience can be seared. If we continue to ignore what the Holy Spirit's telling us to do, if we continue to ignore where God is trying to lead us and to guide us, then we can become numb to the things of the Holy Spirit, and our conscience can become seared. If you've ever seen something seared, it's completely burnt apart. And that's not who we want to be. So we can't ignore the Holy Spirit. There's been some people that's, that's, that's been in so many church services, heard so many altar calls, and they just play around with God. And they get so used to it that it's almost like they get numb. And there's a concern that their conscience can become seared to the point that they won't even feel the Holy Spirit anymore. So we got to understand that our walk with the Lord requires us to respond to the Holy Spirit. So those hidden places that no one sees except for God, we've got to respond to him. We have to respond to the presence of God and what he's trying to do in our life. So when I talk about confrontation, I'm not just talking about confrontation with people. That's one aspect of offense. But we can be offended because of things that we've gone through in life. I went through this. Someone else didn't go through that. They had this. I didn't have that. And we can get hard-hearted because of, of things that we've had to deal with that someone else didn't. It wasn't their story, and it seems like they had it a lot easier. And so even those things can cause a bitter root where it may not be a person that you're mad at, but you might be mad at God. Why did God allow this to happen to me? Why did God allow this person to be taken from me? Why did God allow this relationship to not last? Why did God allow me to, to have to deal with this and this person didn't have to? And we've got to confront those things. So there's four areas. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. There's four areas that we have to confront in our life. The first one is issues or misunderstandings that we have with people. So issues or misunderstandings that we might have, things that come up that they said this and I said this and it came across like this to me and, you know, I'm not sure if that's how they meant it, but it, it bothered me and it hurt me. I need to deal with that. I need to deal with the misunderstanding. I need to deal with the issue. I need to get clarity, things that cause tension and discord in a relationship. It has to be dealt with. The second one has to do with people. And I know the first one has to also deal with people, but sometimes it can, it can deal with one person or a group of people. But the, the second one has to do more with boundaries. So the first one is issues, problems, misunderstandings. The second one, people in dealing with boundaries, boundaries in our life, whether it's personal boundaries, boundaries of our home. Like, no, nope, we don't do that in our home. Because there's a lot of tension that can happen. Let's say somebody comes over and, and you know, they, they act a certain way or they put stuff on the TV, and, and all of a sudden you lost control, right? And it can create tension because that's not what we watch. We don't let our kids watch that. We don't, we don't allow that in our home. We don't speak that way in our home. So now all of a sudden there's this unspoken tension that has to be dealt with. And if it's not dealt with, then it continues to create tension. So boundaries. It's your home. Boundaries with you personally. Boundaries concerning your authority, 
whatever, uh, if you own a business, if you uh, are the authority over a certain area at work, authority in your church, authority in, uh, as a parent. So there are certain boundaries, uh, standards, ethical issues that we have to confront. If we don't confront them, it will continue to become a problem. The third one is our past, our past. The way we've been raised, situations maybe that we had to deal with before we were able to have any type of control or authority in our life. Things that maybe that were done to us that, that we were a victim of. Things that have happened that have not been dealt with. We've not been healed from. Because our past will dictate our future. Many people make decisions for their future based on their past, whether they realize it or not. A person that's been in a bad marriage, just giving an example, and then they're out of the marriage, well, I'm never ever getting married again. Because that was, that was a bad marriage. That was a bad husband or wife. Therefore, they're all bad. <laughs> You see what I'm saying? And so their future, even though they could end up with the, the best spouse, but instead their future decisions are based upon the one that was a mess or the one that was not maybe before Christ, what Gracia and I call BC, be, before Christ, before uh, our Christian relationship. And then, and then that was a decision that was made, and your life is completely different now, and your decision-making is completely different, but you're making decisions based upon 30 years ago. Or I'm never, letting, I'm never trusting anybody with my heart again. I was betrayed by a friend, and I'm not letting anybody in. So therefore, I've gotten cold. I've gotten hard. I don't let anybody see me. I don't let anyone get close to me. So therefore, I, I, this trust thing, mm -mm, not doing it. So you could be missing out on friendships. You could be missing out on relationships that could be healthy and good because of this one bad experience back here. You see what I'm saying? How many people quit going to church because of one bad church experience? It doesn't mean that every church is bad. But because of a bad experience that didn't get dealt with and confronted, then therefore I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing it ever again. The, the last one is our sins and our weaknesses. Our sins and our weaknesses. That's two different things. One is, you know, the, the things that go against God, obviously, the things that he says that we're not to do. Those are sins. Our weaknesses can be things that maybe we're just not majorly strong in. But it can still cause problems in our relationships. It can still cause problems in our life. Like procrastination. It's not necessarily a sin. But man, it can steal our peace. Because we keep putting it off, we put it off, we put it off, we put it off. And then the night before, I got to get this done. And now I'm stressed and I'm, I'm, I'm responding and reacting to everybody. And it's like, I got to get this done now. And, and, and you don't understand. And it's a, it's a weakness. It's something that I, I, am, I haven't dealt with. And if I don't confront that weakness, then it will affect my life and it will affect those that are around me. So when I talk about confrontation, I'm not just talking about just people. I'm talking about things in our life that we have to look at, that only we can control. No one else can make us look at those things and deal with it. So we have to be willing. And God could be saying, hey, you need, to, you need to look at this because this right here is what's stealing your peace. This right here is what's causing these problems. And if you remember on Sunday when we talked about um, Saul, King Saul and David, and Saul got offended because of what David did? No. It wasn't because of what David did. It was because the, the women were saying, and David has, Saul has killed his thousands and David has ten thousands. And that made him mad. 
David was only doing what he was being told to do, to go out and conquer, kill the Philistines. And he did it well. And now Saul's mad because it starts making him, his inadequacies begin to show. And see, this is what happens many times. If we do not own up to these things, and if we're not humble enough to face that I might not be as strong as someone else is in this area, then we get defensive about it, and we start fighting, and then we get tense with that person. And it's actually our issue. So we have to take ownership of that issue. All right, let's go ahead and I'll, I'll finish up the, the rest of the, the closing comments. We could probably have part one and part two of this, but I'm really going to try to do it in one part. I know, Pastor Brad. He always shakes his head at me like, why do you do this? You create one sermon and it could be two. But what you're going to see is... Uh, Lisa Bevere, which is John Bevere's wife, I've mentioned the book, The Bait of Satan, which is written by John Bevere, which talks about offense and not taking the bait, the scandalon, the, the, uh, the bait that gets laid out for Christians to be offended, because if they become offended, then they stumble, and it's just a matter of time before they're out of church, before they're offended with other people, and it does nothing but distracts them from their purpose. They get a root of bitterness, and then it, it, it leads down a path of destruction. So his, his story in the book is very good. I recommend anyone to read the book. But this is his wife. And so she's going to talk a little bit about uh, her journey with God showing her the things in her life that she needed to deal with. So I want you to listen closely on how important it is to listen to your conscience. Because if we don't listen to our, our conscience, if we don't listen to the Holy Spirit and what he wants us to do, then it makes it very difficult for God to be able to transform our lives. Because many times we, we pray for things. That's not God's responsibility. It's ours. That's an important note. Many times we pray for God to take care of things that's our responsibility to take care of. God, just take this anger out of me. And then we just expect this supernatural thing to happen and God to reach down and go whoop and just uh, vacuum it out of us. And we never have to do anything. We never have to deal with any anger issues for the rest of our life. Or God, just take this bitterness out of me. God, just make me patient. And these things, he tells us to walk in, but it, it happens by us exercising it. So many times what we pray for, we're expecting the supernatural in place of us having to exercise it. So we'd rather be lazy and just say, God, you deal with it. You do it. So she talks a little bit about her story and one of the things that she had to majorly deal with in her life. Go ahead. I'm going to show you my family again. That was just like a quick blur of family. Oops. Forgot there was a table there. Okay, so these are my grandchildren. There is Lizzie, August, Sophia, my beautiful Texas daughter-in-law, my firstborn son. We're going to be talking about him tonight. My firstborn grandson, Asher, who turns 10 next month. My old man husband, who is very cute, who I've been married to for 37 years. Please do not tell him I said that. He gets really mad when I say he's old. My youngest son, who is married to a girl named Christian, in case he forgets who he is. Me, my mother-in-law, my only other single son. I need help. I need him to be married by the next time I come here. At, or, or maybe next year would be even better. Okay, then I've got my second son and his beautiful wife, Jessica. Do you see everybody looks normal? Do you see they all look happy? Okay, I just want you to look at this because this is the redemption of God in this photo. And I want to do something. I'm going to be talking about being angry and not sinning. Because a lot of us know how to be angry and sin, but I'm going to talk about how to be angry and sin not. 
And I'm going to talk about it from my own life. I grew up Sicilian. I don't know if you know what a Sicilian is. Anybody here know what a Sicilian is? Wave at me. Okay, Sicilians are Greeks, Arabs, and Italians mixed. We are the ones that gave the world the mafia. You're welcome. <laughs> it was our contribution. Everybody has a contribution. The mafia is ours. I hope you enjoyed the movies. Anyway, I am Sicilian. Then my mother is French and Apache Indian. I'm just kind of putting together a little bit of a package there. My dad, 100% Sicilian. My mom, French, Apache Indian, and thank God a teeny bit of British, because that just kind of helps with some stuff. And I grew up in a very angry household. I got saved in 1981. The majority of you are not even born then, but I was born again in 1981. Married John Bevere in 1982. Became a pastor's wife in 1988. And in 1988, because I was sitting on the front row like you guys, I prayed a stupid prayer. I said, God, I'm just about perfect. God, I'm a pastor's wife. I'm sitting on the front row singing hallelujah, falling down once a month. God, I think you are so pleased with me. So I'm going to just pray a prayer that sounds good. Father, I want you to come into my life and excavate it. Just go in. I, I had been singing over and over an old school song. Take me in to the holy of holies. Take me in by the blood of the lamb. Take me in to the holy of holies. Take your coal. Cleanse my lips. Here I am. Thought that I would go to bed that night and an angel would tap my shoulder. Here's your coal. But there was a very different process that began in my life. See, before that prayer, just once a quarter, I would maybe freak out on my husband. I would maybe call him names. I would maybe say things I shouldn't say. But it was just like maybe four times a year. But after I prayed that prayer, it was now once a month. That's when I learned about premenstrual tension. I was like, until the Church of Jesus Christ puts all the women into the spa for that week, of course they are going to be living on the edge. But now if John would say, honey, are you getting ready? Like, That's not it, but it always was it. Then it went from once a month to like every single week. That's when I figured out. You'll understand this, Chris. We're youth pastors. Probably all of the witches in Orlando have targeted me. And they are praying against me. I am under spiritual attack. That is why I'm angry. Not to mention all of the other things I've already said. Sicilian mafia vendettas. Apache. People stole my land. All this stuff is going on. I began to be afraid to open my mouth. And I have one of those husbands that, you know, like does not let something like stop. So like if we were having a fight and it was nighttime and we went to bed. Now we were word of faith people. So I would say to my husband, I forgive you by faith. I don't even know. I don't even know what that meant. But if his leg happened to come over into my space after I'd forgiven him by faith, I'd kick him back. I'd like roll over. I was off the edge of the bed. And then John would say, no. He'd flip on the lights, rip off the covers, and say, we are not doing this. We cannot let the sun go down on our wrath. But see, I think he was wrong. Because we had started fighting when it was dark out. So I felt like we had until the next day sundown. We were in a disagreement in the kitchen. I felt like my idle word account was getting high. I was like, I just need to not talk. 
And John was pushing me, pushing me, pushing me. And before I knew what happened, I turned and I threw a plate at him. It was thrown like a Frisbee. My husband ducked, missing decapitation, and it hit the window. Went right out the window that was not open. I shattered our apartment window. Now, when you do something like that, everybody comes to attention. And John was like, I can't believe you just did that. I said, I can't even throw a Frisbee. I can't believe I did that. John was like, no, seriously, Lisa, you just broke the window in our apartment complex. It was a huge, big picture window. Y'all remember, I was only 28. Only 28. 59 now. It's a long time ago. Anyway, through it. And he said, you know what? When they come to fix this window, I am not going to lie for you. And I said, you know what? You're a man of God and I don't want you to lie. But I will not be here when they fix the window. <laughs> so I get in my car and I am praying in the spirit. I am like, God, you are the God of the impossible. It would it would be so easy for you just to reassemble that window. It would be a miracle. I could just give you glory for all of my life. Just, it's just like a flinch of your eyelash. The entire, all the pieces of glass would come back together. I prayed and I prayed when I saw the maintenance truck. I said, nope, not going home yet. Just kept circling, circling, circling. And when I came in, my husband looked at me. And he said, you must have really been praying I was. I prayed for everything I could possibly think of. And he said, well, the maintenance man came in while I was on the toilet. So your two-year-old son let him in. And when he walked in, he saw the broken window and he said, whoa, whoa, what happened here? And he moved the sofa away from the window, looked down, and there was a metal Tonka truck. He picked up the truck looked at my husband and said, say no more. This is why we have insurance. We understand that two-year-olds do things like this. These kind of things happen. And John said, I just decided to follow his instructions and say no more. So I went from broken, I'm so sorry, God, imagining People seeing me in church, youth pastor's wife breaks picture window at Post Lake Apartments. I always knew she had a problem. I am, went from shaming myself to justifying myself. You were going to uncover me and see what God did. I remember no longer feeling quite so bad about it. Yeah, I probably shouldn't have thrown the plate, but you shouldn't have pushed me. That's the way I began to reason. I know nobody in South Africa would ever think like that. <laughs> then I had my second child. Now, I want to explain something. One child is an accessory. You take them out, you dress them up, they behave well. It's all a trick to get you to have more children. <laughs> When I had my second child, I remember thinking, what have I done? I will never brush my teeth before noon again. Every single day was just chaos and mayhem. And we only had one car. John would take the car to work and then come home, look at me. I'd be standing there with one baby in my arms, another one on my leg, a spank spoon in my hand, my nursing flaps down, and he would say, what have you done all day? And I'd say, I don't know. I don't know what I have done, John, but I have been busy. And he would say, I'd say, People are calling me, saying they want to commit suicide, and I am offering to join them. Now, I, 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 I'm, I'm not saying it's a good technique, but it did, it did help. People are like, oh, no, we need to rescue you now. I was like, what, wait, what? Maybe. So John, every single day, I was failing, 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 because my oldest son, my perfectly well-behaved firstborn, now refused to take a nap 
because he is a justice child. So if I kissed the baby, I had to kiss him. What was I doing with the baby? If he was sleeping, I might be doing something with the baby that might not be equal for him. And so I would put him down and he would get up. A lot of times he would hear the phone ring. Yeah, I was a mother in the day without portable phones. And he knew she's trapped. He would come out of his bedroom. I would be in the kitchen. He would be playing in the loft. I'd be stomping my foot and waving the spank spoon at him like, get back in your room. All of these motions while I'm praying for someone over the phone. And my son would just be like, I see your hand. I see your hand but I'm not going anywhere. I'm not, I'm not doing it. I tried putting the spank spoon on the threshold of his doorway. He just stepped right over it. He'd be like, I need to do this. And one day, my son came down the stairs and I came running up to meet him. I no longer saw him as a child. I saw him as an enemy. I thought, this is the one stopping me from getting anything accomplished. I was a sleep-deprived, crazy woman. I'm stomping up the stairs with Addison. I walk into his bedroom. I'm looking around. I'm thinking, what can I do? And I hear a voice say, lift him up and slam him into the wall and put him on his bed. And I thought to myself, yeah, that should work. I lifted him up and I was just getting ready to shove him in the wall when I saw something I had never seen before. See, my son was not afraid of what I was going to do. He had no idea what I was going to do. He was afraid of me. And when I saw the fear in my son's eyes, I remembered my own growing up in a physically and emotionally abusive household. And every time I was slapped, and every time I was kicked, and every time I had been shoved into a wall, I made myself a promise, and it went like this. I will never treat my children this way. But there I was, a born-again pastor's wife getting ready to slam my son against the wall. And it broke me. I put him down on his bed. I said, Addison, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry mommy scared you. I went running downstairs and I hit the carpet. And I wept until my entire being was empty. I said, God, it's not the witches in Orlando. God, it's not the Apache. God, it could be the Sicilian, but you're bigger than that. God, it's not my mother. God, it's not my father. It's not John. It's me. I have a real problem with anger, and I don't know how to be free. Wept and wept. And then came say, Book of James says, confess your sins one to another that you might be, what? Healed. See, I was forgiven when I confessed it to God. But I was healed when I confessed it to my mother. And then I was made accountable when I told my husband what almost happened. And John had no problems being my accountability partner because he had been on the other side of that anger. I want to read to you from the book stop that of there. Gal <clears throat> It's a powerful, powerful testimony. Powerful testimony. And of course, God is using them, you know, all around the world today, her and her husband, and, and the things that uh, they've been able to pour into nations, actually. And, you know, the, just listening to the testimony in this story, what... <sighs> the process that she had to go through really was listening to the Holy Spirit. Because if she would have never listened, she would have continued down the same path. And it, and it wasn't until, if you've noticed, that it was, wasn't until she admitted 
God, I have a problem. And she quit justifying her problems because how many of you know that we're really good at justifying our problems? We're good at justifying our weaknesses because, you know, I was raised this way because so-and-so did this to me because, you know, I, I was brought up this way, so therefore, you know, this is just how I am. And we, we don't take ownership of those things and say, you know what? God's redemptive plan is greater than that problem. God's power is greater than that issue. And I can come out of that. And I can be a different story. I don't have to stay in that same place. I don't have to stay in that, in that same. I don't have to use that as an excuse. I don't have to continue the cycle. And so, you know, the things that, that we often deal with when it comes to confrontation, people have a lot of different defense mechanisms built in, and we went through a, a, a lot of those in matters of the heart. But you have to find the thing that you tend to do because you have to address it. Because in order to confront, that means you can't run. You can't run from it. Some people try to run from their problem, from their situation physically. If I just get out of this situation, if I just get out of the workplace, if I just get out of the, the home, in fact, I was listening to Joyce Myers this week, and if you know her life, her testimony, she was physically abused, raped by her father all through her, her upbringing, all through her childhood, it, her teenage years until she actually left. And she said, I thought me running away solved everything. But she said, I didn't realize I was just carrying it with me in my soul. And so she continued to run. But if you've heard any of her testimony, she carried it into her marriage. She married another guy that was not good to her. And, and so it was, it was just this cycle for a while until she was willing to deal with the issues, and until she was willing to confront what was going on and what she needed to fix herself. Not meaning that she was to blame for everything, but what had happened affected her, and it caused her to see life through a certain perspective. And just like I said earlier, our past can cause us to see things through a lens like, I'm never going to do that again. And it can cut us off from blessings in the future. It can cut us off from the goodness of God in the future. Because, no, I'm not going to allow that to ever happen to me again. I'm going to create this wall to keep me safe. I'm going to create this, this security. And I'm not going to let anybody in. I'm not going to let anybody touch me ever again. They're not going to see me. They're not going to see my heart. They're not going to. And so what happens? We, all these things of the enemy begin to come out. Pride, right? Fear. All of the seeds of the enemy that he plants is what we use as protective measures. And it's only until we allow Christ to touch those areas are we redeemed? Because it takes the love of God and the trust and the faith in God to touch those areas, redeem them, turn them around, give us the right perspective, give us a God perspective to, to receive the love of the Heavenly Father. And only then are we able to actually be healed from that. Then when we're healed, it doesn't matter what people do. Because then God is our source. No longer is man our source. No longer are we looking at man to heal that part of us. No longer are we looking at man to give their apology for what happened. No longer are we looking at a person to say, I'm sorry, or here's restitution for what I did. Because when God heals it, he becomes our source. He becomes the one that we receive all the love from, and we don't need it from man anymore. He becomes the one that we trust in, and we don't trust in man anymore. Now we can freely do what? Love man. By what? The power of God, the love of God. Because now it's coming from him through us to others, and it doesn't have to be reciprocated. And yeah, it's a challenge at times. 
especially when we become invested, especially when we invest in someone, because that's when it can really truly hurt. When we invest, then we want the reciprocation. But sometimes it's not always there, and that's when it, hurt, it can really hurt. So then we have to, to come back to this place and say, why? why? Why did that hurt? What's going on? Am I experiencing rejection? Am I experiencing, uh, you know, a, an identity issue? Do I not know who I am in this area? Am, am I experiencing not understanding the Father's love? Am I experiencing fear of something? So we got to go back to the root of things. And sometimes we have to go to a person and, and talk these things out and say, hey, you know, this is what, what I'm feeling right now. And man, some, sometimes we have to be taught how to do that. Because, like I said, many people will run. They'll run physically from something thinking that's going to solve the problem. I'll run from my job. It's just, I just need a new job. I just need a new job. Now, I'm not saying that, that you don't need to, to step into new places sometimes. I'm not saying to, to never look to better yourself. That's not what I'm saying. But if you're at your new job and you're still not happy and you're at another new job and you're still not happy and it's just a cycle, then you might need to look, is something else going on? If, if, if you're going from relationship, relationship to relationship, if it just seems like every relationship in your life just <laughs> something goes wrong and then it's just like that person, you know, you know, I have a complaint about that person and then the next one, I have a complaint about that person and the next one. And it's just time and time and time again. Then something's going on. Some people try to run emotionally which means you might stay in the same place physically, but you're burying it emotionally. No, nothing's wrong. And you don't deal with it. We just put a rug over it, we put something over it, lock it up, and we don't deal with it. I'm fine. But that's not what's coming out. It's still there. And the thing is, it hurts the individual the most. And it can damage relationships that are good relationships because it hasn't been dealt with. Some try to just smooth it over just to get through, but there's nothing ever fixed. I'll just say I'm sorry just to get through it, but I'm not fixing what I need to fix. And so then there's just a cycle of a reoccurring issue time and time and time again, and it keeps pointing back to the same, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, but you have to fix it. Otherwise, we're gonna deal with the same thing. Some go the other way and they blow up and defend it. They defend the thing that they need to be dealing with. And then some blame. Now, there's a lot of other things, like a lot. There's a lot of defense mechanisms. But, Again, if you listen to the Holy Spirit, he's going to show you. The people that I think in, in, that I think of in my own life that are the most mature, they have something in common. They're able to confront someone anytime there's a, a problem, and they're able to confront in love. Not confront like, what did you do that for? You know, you're being a total jerk. Not confront like that, but confront in a way that is godly and loving and be able to work through an issue and talk about it maturely and come through it and be able to have the relationship restored. People like that have wisdom. So we don't need to to run from things, we need to be able to confront things. We need to be able to be, be men and women of God that are mature. Let's flip over to Ephesians. And we'll finish up with this scripture.
Ephesians 4. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things to him who is the head, Christ. So we're to grow up in the things of Christ. We are to mature. That's the, that's the whole reason of the body of Christ coming together is to be edified in the things of Christ so that we can learn and grow and become mature in the things of Christ. But if we find ourselves in a place where we're, we're coming to church and it's just a, an action that we do, but we never apply the things of God outside of that, or if we, we've been a Christian for 20 years, but we've stopped growing and we've not seen growth in our, in our lives, then we, we have an issue that we need to look at because we're never going to be perfect until we go home to be with Jesus. So we all have growth to do, which requires what? Humbleness. Humbleness. This really should be a, a mark of, of the Christian's Humbleness should be the very thing that people look at in our lives and they can, they can see Christ on us because we're humble. Because in that is also love. Because when we're humble, we're going to have love. But the humbleness of Christ means that I don't have to fight for me. I don't have to... My security is in him. And if it means that I need to look at something, as much as it may hurt my pride for someone to say, you know what, you've got this, this, and this, and, and you really need to deal with it. And, and if I look at that, and I know that that's true, then I should be able to say, yes, I do. You're right. I need to deal with that. That's something, something that I'm not yet fully developed in. But it takes us confronting those things in our life. And it takes humbleness. When it comes to confrontation, those moments, you know, just like Lisa Bevere said, Minister, you can go ahead and come to the keyboard. It was interesting because she, she got to this point, she's like, Lord, I'm doing so great, right? <laughs> I'm doing just amazing things for you. I'm a pastor. I can't even imagine becoming a pastor like six years after I got saved. <laughs> like, oh, the pressure. She's like, I'm doing these great things for you. God, just excavate my heart. You know, because she's in a place where she's, she's like, okay, I'm comfortable with me. <laughs> you know, I'm comfortable with where I'm at. I don't think God's going to find anything major. And it's like, she said, up to that point, it was just once a quarter she would, like, lose her coal. And then it started happening all the time. And then it started becoming more prevalent. And it was like, how many ever times a month? It was like, more often and more often. And it's so easy for us to be in those places and blame everybody else and everything else. And that's where she was at. It's my husband, it's the kids, it's this, it's that. And it's so easy for us to justify our reasons for why we respond and react the way we do. But she had to get to that place because God will allow us, if we are dealing with issues where it seems like, man, what is going on? Why am I dealing with this so much anymore? 
it might be because God's trying to burn it out of you. How many of you have heard, man, Satan's just attacking me? <laughs> we'll even blame it on the devil, won't we? <laughs> we'll blame it on Satan. But it's our attitude or it's our problem. Satan may have seeded it there years ago, but it's our responsibility to get it out. We're the ones that have to own it. We're the ones that have to deal with it, to uproot it, to acknowledge the fact that it's there and we need to deal with it. That's the starting place because outside of that, we won't get anywhere with it. It'll stay and God will just be like, okay, I'm going to wait until you're you're done. I'm going to wait until you're done blaming. I'm going to wait until you're done doing this. But I'm going to tell you, you're going to see the cycle of this over and over and over. And you're going to deal with this issue again and again and again and again until you finally get tired enough that you say, I surrender. I give up, God. Fix me. I have an issue. I remember hitting a place that was very similar to what she was saying, only it wasn't an anger issue but I was trying to I'm not even sure the, how, how to explain it I would take on people's problems I would take on their issues and, and try to go to them and say if you'll just do this oh, if, you, if you'll just do this if you'll just say this to them and if you'll just do this for her and I'm trying to take on all of their problems and fix this and, and fix that. And if you can just see, if you'll do this, then it'll fix the problem. And I would carry the load. I would carry the burden. I would, and it's not even my burden to carry. It wasn't, it wasn't my relationships. It wasn't my choices. It wasn't my decisions. But I'm carrying it on my shoulders. And I would hurt. And I would stress. And I would be at unpeace there was no peace and finally I got to a point where I was like I crumpled like she did on the kitchen floor of our home that ugly blue carpet that we had in the kitchen I don't know who designed that but that was dumb blue bold bold blue solid not even variegated, solid blue carpet in the kitchen. And I crumpled on the floor. And I and I I was actually pregnant with Gracia. So I, I can kind of relate to that because I had Zane, I had Zephan, ages two and one, and pregnant with the third feeling the strain and the stress of other people's relationships that, yeah, it affected me, but ultimately it wasn't my decisions. And I cried out to God and I said, I'm done. I'm done trying to control this. I'm done carrying it. I'm, I release it. Whether they make this decision or that decision, I can't carry it. I can't be the one to carry their relationship. And it was from that moment, God healed me of feeling the burden of other people's choices. Because from that point, I, it has been very easy for me. If, if someone makes a choice, it's their choice, and I see it as that. I may not want that for them. I may desire the best for them from God. But ultimately, I know it's their decision and it's their choice. I love them. But I don't take it on to where it affects my life. And I have no peace in my life. And I'm stressed about it. And it's, it's disrupting me. So from that point, it changed. But I had to get to that point, too, where I emptied it all out. And I didn't make any justifications anymore. It was, God, I give this to you. 
and I was done. And see, that's the thing. We have to be ready to be done, whether this happens or this happens, and that's the thing. We hold on to things sometimes because, yeah, but if I let go, then this will happen. If I let go, then I'm relinquishing control. If I let, if I, if I let go of this, then, then this person can make it this or what, whatever we're thinking, whatever are, are the attitudes of our heart, the motives of our heart. That's what we got to get real with. And that's what we have to release. And be okay with how God chooses to deal with things or how man makes their choice. And you live your life focused on the will of God and the purposes of God for you. Let's go ahead and stand.